0: Mark chapter 5, reading from verse 24, 21, sorry. And when Jesus was passed over again by the ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him. And he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there comes one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. When he saw him, he fell at his feet, and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and will live. And Jesus went with him and many people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years and had suffered many things by many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better and rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the crowd behind him and touched his garment, for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straight away the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing that virtue had gone out from him, turned in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, Look at the multitude thronging you, and you ask, Who touched me? He looked around to see her that had done this thing. But the woman was afraid and trembling, knowing what she had done, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said to her daughter, Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be well of your plague." While he yet spake, there came from, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, a certain, a certain which said his daughter, a certain man which said his daughter is dead. Why are you troubling the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the rulers of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him save Peter and James and John and the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seized the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was coming, he said to them, "'Why are you making such a do and weeping? "'The damsel is not dead. "'She is just asleep.' And they laughed him to scorn. But when he put them out of the room... He takes the father and the mother and of the damsel and them that were with him and enters in where the damsel was lying. He took the damsel by the hand and said to her, Talitha, kumi, which being interpreted is, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And straight away the little girl arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know of it and commanded that something should be given to her to eat. Amen. Let's
1: uh, pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word brings life and hope into the most distressing circumstances and situations. And we pray that your word this morning might... Indeed, bring life and hope into our lives, that you might continue that transforming work in us through the power of your Holy Spirit. So speak into our lives, into our situations, into our church, into our community, we pray, as we look into your word and in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text for the year, which I'm sure you've all memorised off by heart. By now, you've had uh, a couple of weeks to uh, to do that, and I, I know because you're such good and faithful people that uh, you will have taken this word and you will have learnt it off by heart. I'm not going to put you on the spot now and uh, and test you this week, uh, but we chose this text because it does speak of the of the God of hope that uh, that wants to fill us uh with hope to the to the to the extent uh that we are overflowing uh with hope and so this week and probably next week uh we're going to be looking at, at stories in the bible that seem hopeless and uh we're just going to be looking at examples of how god uh can bring hope into hopeless situations and uh this week uh we're looking at two stories and it's really a tale within a tale um, I like this—a kind of narrative sandwich. It's—do uh, do you like that—a narrative sandwich? You know, you've got the the story of of, of Jairus as, as kind of the, the bread uh, on on the outside, and then you've got the story of this uh, woman who was suffering from ble- bleeding in the middle of the story. And uh, Mark sometimes does this, uh, making a, a sandwich. And of course, uh, these two stories. Um, they are connected, aren't they? These two stories. There's, there's lots of obvious connections, aren't there? Such as? Touch, yeah? Anything else? Healings? Trusting? Hoping? Lots of connections. A very obvious connection, of course, is uh, this is a story about two unnamed women... You knew that, didn't you? Two unnamed women, and of course it, it, it's not unusual because in Jesus' time, uh, you know, women weren't seemed or deemed as, as very important. And uh, praise God and thank God, we live in very different times, don't we? Although well, there are some people who still. Uh, want to, uh, be little women and, uh, you may have seen yesterday on your television sets, uh, people campaigning and, and going out on the streets all over, uh, not just in America, but in this country and in other countries, uh, demonstrating and, and, and wanting to, to put a voice, uh, to, you know, the equality of, of women. And, uh, you know, praise God, thank God that Jesus was doing this in a time when it wasn't, uh, seen as being acceptable or politically correct. Jesus, uh, loved and cared for and uh, upheld and, uh, and, and treated women in, with uttermost respect and dignity and equality. And we see that in these stories. It is a story about two unnamed women. You're right, it is a story about healings. It is a story uh, about touches. But there's one thing that does tie these two stories together, one obvious thing that's there in the text of Scripture um, that, I'm, that, 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 that I didn't notice myself until somebody, uh, one of the commentators pointed it out. And this is the fact that uh, 12 years. Did you notice that? That the woman had, had been suffering from bleeding for 12 years. And then we read at the end of the story uh, that Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. 12. 12 is, is a significant number in the Bible because, you know, there were 12 tribes of, of Israel. Uh, Jesus t- uh, chose 12 disciples. If you, if, you, if you do a little study, um, I, I read somewhere that the, 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 the number 12 comes up at least 187 times. I'm not going to go through all 187 of them, but it's a significant number. And very often it, it does mean completeness and, and wholeness. And of course, this is a story about bringing wholeness and completeness to people uh, that needed that. So, two stories that are very much uh, related And the first thing I want to say about these two stories is it's about uh, receiving help. These stories are about people who are in hopeless, helpless situations who come to that realisation that they cannot do what needs to be done to resolve their circumstances. They're both people that come to the situation that they realise that they need to ask for help. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm not always very good at asking for help. Are you good at asking for help? You know, when you ask for help, you're admitting uh, that you can't do something. Uh, some people find that very easy. Some people struggle. Uh, some people struggle on on their own uh, and, and will not ask for help, even though they can't cope in the situation. And uh, what we see here is is two women, uh, sorry, two, two people, Jairus and uh, the woman, who both... Uh, go to Jesus and ask for help. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Jairus, uh, a synagogue leader, an upright man, uh, comes and falls at Jesus' and begs him earnestly he's in a desperate situation his daughter is dying and he goes to Jesus because he thinks that Jesus may be able to help woman there who had been subjected to bleeding for 12 years when she heard about Jesus she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought if I touch his clothes I will be healed again this woman realises that And thinks, maybe Jesus can do something to help my situation. Both come to Jesus desperately needing help. But they come in different ways, which is interesting, isn't it? Jairus, the synagogue leader, uh, falls at Jesus' feet. A real public display. Uh, The woman who had been suffering from this bleeding for 12 years... Uh, keeps in the shadows, keeps in the crowd, uh, wants to be unnoticed. It's just different, it's, it's just, a, a, I think a good example of how different people, because of their character, because of their situation, they come to Jesus in, in different ways. You know, and sometimes we want to say, this is the way that you should come to Jesus. This is the way that you should worship God. You should do it like me. And we see examples of people who come, uh, Jairus, uh, Forgets all his dignity and his position and falls on his knees. Uh, the woman, and remember, the woman suffering from this condition of bleeding, she'd be seen as unclean. Um, she wants to almost, uh, you know, she, she, she's almost about stealing a healing. She wants it. She doesn't want to be noticed. She doesn't want anyone to see her. And understandably, why? You know, there's that fear as well as faith. Uh, fear that she's in the wrong place, fear that she might be told that she's unclean and to to go away. Maybe that's been her experience. Uh, So we all come to Jesus in different ways. And there isn't a right way. Uh, We don't have to come to Jesus like other people. We come to Jesus as we are and who we are. We don't have to try and act like somebody else or pretend with somebody else because God accepts who we are. And we are different and we approach God in Jesus in different ways. And that's great. And that's to be celebrated. And that's to be encouraged. You don't have to fall on your knees. Uh, but you can fall on your knees. Uh, you don't have to make a big song and dance. You can come quietly like the woman. Uh, and God recognises and sees that and accepts it. So, receiving help. Uh, we all get into situations don't we where we're in a situation and we know that we uh, need to receive help receiving help in hopeless situations Uh, you know my team yesterday we were losing 1-0 we needed help what does a manager do he looks to the bench he sees the guy there that scored a few goals he brings him on knew what to do knew that he needed help of course, more seriously, uh, the woman, uh, she'd been everywhere looking for help. She'd been under the care of many doctors, spent all she had, and yet she was getting worse and not better. Uh, is your situation getting worse and not better? Maybe you can identify with that, that you've, you've tried all sorts of things. And if anything, the situation seems to be getting worse rather than better. Some of us know what that feels like. And she recognises she just needs to come to Jesus, however dangerous that might be, however scary that might be, and uh, she recognises. So receiving help, that's the first thing it's about, and we need to learn, some of us need to learn to be able to say, you know, I need help, some of us just need to learn that. Uh, Maybe we need help in, in our faith. Maybe we need help in our circumstances. Maybe we're just not coping very well with things. And we need to be able to go to people. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because because the woman goes for herself. Jairus is going for his daughter who couldn't get to Jesus. And sometimes, you know, we need a Jairus to go to Jesus for us. Some of us need to be Jairuses for people that can't get to Jesus or, or wouldn't go to Jesus. We need to go on their behalf and plead for them. And sometimes we do that. I, don't, I go to Jesus all the time on behalf of people who I really care about, who don't know Jesus and probably wouldn't go for themselves. And I plead on their behalf, and that's what Jairus does. So receiving help is the first thing. And then the second thing I want to talk about is risking faith. We talk about, you know, having faith in Jesus, don't we? Uh, but it is a risk to put your faith in Jesus. You're taking a risk. You didn't realise this morning, you thought, yeah, I'm just coming to church, there's nothing risky about that. It's, it's almost seen, isn't it, in this country as a, a kind of a bit of a boring thing to do, you know, and not a very uh, edgy thing to do, but actually you are taking a risk. Some people in, in other countries and other places are taking a much greater risk by coming to worship God, because they might face persecution and punishment just for doing what we're doing this morning, the persecuted church. People risk their faith on a daily basis just to come into the house of God and worship. But faith is risky. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, touched his clothes, because she thought if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And the woman, knowing what happened to her, came and fell at Jesus' feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, another connection in the stories, two daughters. Jesus calls the woman daughter and later he will visit Jairus' daughter, two daughters. Daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace And be freed from your suffering. Your faith has healed you. There's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Your faith has healed you. I told you this is about risking faith, isn't it? Uh, It's also, I think, a a dangerous scripture. A dangerous scripture because it can, uh, it can be, uh, it can be mishandled. And I like the way in the, in the message it says Jesus said to her daughter you took the risk of faith and now you are healed and hold. Uh Eugene Patterson uh, bringing in that, that idea of risk and faith uh, coming together she takes the risk of faith risking faith let's talk about the elephant in the room shall we shall we talk about the elephant in the room some of you would rather I didn't mention it but hey ho Uh, Of course, the elephant in the room is we come to stories like this, and uh, we see Jesus healing people, we see Jesus bringing people back to life, and uh, the reality is we don't see a lot of that, do we? We don't see a lot of that. Uh, Your faith has healed you. Uh, Well, I, I don't think it's an exact maths. I don't think this is an exact math. Some of you won't like this, and that's okay. Some of you won't agree with this, and that's okay. You can disagree with me. You have my permission. And I know some of you probably will, but here we go. I don't think it's an exact math. Some people will say, enough faith in Jesus, and you will be healed. That's what some people say. I would say, uh uh-uh. I'd say that's wrong. I'd say that's a, an even a dodgy theology. Um, I would say that uh, faith in Jesus, yeah, sometimes uh, does result in healing. And praise God when that happens. I was tempted to put rarely, but that would have really upset some people. But it might have been nearer the truth. Let me tell you what I'm I'm thinking about. You see, because... um, some people say, you know, your faith has healed you and all you need is enough faith. And I'll tell you why it's a dangerous and dodgy theology. Because the person who, who proclaims that you can be healed if you have enough faith promises you that you will be healed if you have enough faith. If you're not healed, it's not that person's fault, it's your fault because you've not got enough faith. So the person that's promising the healing is in a win-win situation. Because they're promising healing and they'll quote verses just like this and there are other, are other verses and they'll say all you've got to do is have enough faith. But the pressure and all the thing is on you. Now you're already suffering. And this person, while they're promising and looking like they're being a great person of faith and promising you all sorts of healing, are actually adding to your sufferings. Because if you don't get well, not only are you not going to get well, you are going to feel awful about the fact that you don't get well and you're going to think it's your fault. Because this person's told you that if you had enough faith, you will be healed. Can you see why I think this is a bit of a dodgy theology? Because it puts the emphasis on, on your faith. And you might say, well, hang on a sec, didn't Jesus just say, uh, your faith has healed you? And he did. And so we do need to be able to explain that. And if you think otherwise, you also need to be able to explain it. As well as I've explained it. Or not. <laughs> you see, you've got to remember that once Jesus realised the power had gone from him, he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And the disciples said, you're crazy, lots of people been around, lots of people have touched you. But Jesus knew that the power had gone from him. You see, Jesus said, your faith has healed you, and he was right. It was the woman's faith that brought her into the presence of Jesus. It was the woman's faith that, uh, that made her reach out and touch Jesus' cloak, But it was the power of Jesus that healed the woman. So it wasn't just the faith of the woman that resulted in her healing. It was the power of Jesus. And in my uh, limited experience in relationship to healing, it just seems to me that it's a mystery. Uh, Because sometimes... In my mathematical equation of faith plus Jesus, sometimes people do get healed, but it seems to me a lot of times uh, people don't. And that is a problem. That's an issue. And uh, we grapple and, and we do that. Uh, we, don't, we encourage people to go to Jesus. Don't hear me wrong. We encourage the people to go to Jesus. We pray for healing and we ask Jesus, but we don't promise it because I don't think it's ours to promise. Maths lesson over. Carry on with the story. Form a cue after me to uh, to take me on with that. But it's a risk. It's a risk putting your faith in Jesus. It is a risk. It is a risk putting your faith in Jesus. Risking faith. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Again, Jesus is saying, believe, have faith, despite What people are telling you. Risky faith. Despite what's going on, trust in me. Despite what they're saying, trust in me. That's not easy to do. Especially if people are turning up and telling you that your daughter's dead. Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Easier said than done, but that's what Jesus calls us to do. To believe When everything else is going wrong. To still believe when healing doesn't come. Healing at this moment hasn't come to Jairus' daughter. The worst thing possible has happened and she has passed away. Jesus says, still believe. Not easy, not easy. Risking faith. It's risking faith to believe against the flow of what everybody else is believing. I also like this little bit. When the, uh, when the people turn up and say, why bother the teacher anymore? Why bother? Are you bothered? How many people think that Jesus isn't bothered with their situation? Why bother? How many people think, why bother? Well, I'm, I'm, I don't bother with God about this. I'm sure He's got lots of things going on. There's all those problems in Syria. There's all those people in, in Africa. He's, he's, he's too busy. Let's, you know, don't bother Jesus with this. Don't bother Jesus with this. And don't bother Jesus with this because it's hopeless. Your daughter's dead. It's gone. Don't bother. Don't bother. Why bother the teacher anymore? I would say let's continue to bother Jesus. Let's continue to bother Jesus because I think Jesus is bothered. I think Jesus is bothered about us. I think Jesus is bothered about everybody. And I would say continue to bother Jesus. I like that phrase, bother. Because I think Jesus is bothered. And I think we should carry on bothering Jesus about the things that are on our hearts, about the people, about the places. We just continue to bother Jesus. Despite the fact that maybe nothing's happening, things are getting worse, it seems an impossible situation. Let's continue To bother Jesus. Let's continue to trust. And let's continue to believe. Risking faith. Are you going to risk faith? Are you going to take the risk of faith? And then thirdly and finally. It's about rising up. It's about receiving help. It's about risking faith. And it's about rising up. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing. He went in and said to them, why all this crying and wailing? This child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. Apparently in Jesus' time, and uh, still in some uh, Middle Eastern places, uh, there are such things as official mourners. People that will do the wailing and crying on your behalf or get certainly get the wailing and crying going so that you can in, in join in. I'm not saying this is a bad thing because uh, one of the things about our culture is we don't really encourage people uh, to wail and cry, do we? Uh, you know, in olden days, they used to shut the curtains, didn't they, when somebody had died. And it was like, this is a private thing. Let's keep it, let's keep it locked away. Let's keep our grief. Let's hide our grief. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Uh, but in this situation, uh, the people had jumped the gun a little bit. They were crying and wailing, and Jesus is saying, the child's not dead but asleep, and they laughed at him. They laughed at him. Let me tell you this, the official mourners are alive and well and can be found wailing loudly in most churches. And by that I mean, there are those people that take on the, the, the position themselves to be the official mourners. They'll pronounce that something is dead when it might not yet be dead. They'll pronounce that something... Uh, they'll be the sort of people that when somebody comes up with a new idea, they'll be the sort of people that throw cold water on it and say, it'll never work. We've tried it before. No chance of that, of that ever coming to life. Uh, those people could be found in every church. It's not that we don't want to hear, you know, when we're thinking of doing things that there, there might be problems. Uh, but these people were in the way and they were creating an atmosphere... Uh, of doom and gloom, when Jesus wanted to do something, and it's interesting, isn't it, that he says after he put them all out, Jesus has to put these wailers and mourners out of the way before he can proceed. And sometimes it can be quite painful and difficult, but we have to say to people, you know, enough wailing. Uh, let's look at this and let's see if Jesus can actually do something about this situation. Let's not be defeated before we've even started. So if you happen to be one of the official wailers and mourners, Jesus might want to put you out. He took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha Kuma, which means little girl, I say, get up. That's odd, isn't it? Why suddenly do we have those Aramaic words uh, retained in our scriptures. Strange, isn't it, that uh, the Bible translators would keep those Aramaic words? I wonder why that would be. Well, I'm not the only person that's wondered about that. You'll be interested to know, uh, our good friend Tom Wright, in his bookmark for everyone, says, "Why use the Aramaic words?" Well, this is his suggestion: they were ordinary words you might use to wake up a sleeping child. But part of the point of the gospel story is precisely that the life-giving power of God is breaking into and working through the ordinary details of life. Just an ordinary phrase. Get up. Rise up. And maybe Jesus wants to say those same words to us. Telephacum. Get up. Rise up. You're not dead. I'm not finished with you yet. I want to bring new life into your circumstances, into your situation. Maybe some of you here this morning need to hear those words. Talifa Kuma. Talifa kuma. Rising up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old, by the way. 12 years old. The woman... I' had been suffering from this bleeding for 12 years. You know, blood in the Bible uh, actually stands for life, doesn't it? And this blood was draining out of the woman for 12 years. In effect, she was slowly dying. You know, if you lose enough blood, you will eventually die. And Jesus brings life to the woman in healing and making her complete, and he brings this young girl back to life, because Jesus is about bringing hope and bringing life into desperate and desolate situations. Rising up. That's what Jesus is about. And of course, this is one of, I think, three occasions when Jesus actually brings people back to life. Uh, And a sign of something greater that was going to come because he himself was going to face death head on, and come back to life, resurrection, rising up. So it's a tale within a tale, a kind of narrative sandwich. It's about receiving help. And some of us just need to put our hands up and say, you know, we need help. We're not coping. We can't do this. It's beyond us. It's about risking faith. It's taking the risk to put our trust and hope in Jesus despite what other people are saying, despite what the circumstances are. We take that risk of faith. And it is about believing that Jesus can rise people back to life. Some of us need that resurrection power in our lives. Receiving help. Risking faith and rising up.